0: Hey everyone, Uh, welcome to episode 51. We're just doing an open topic, open forum to kind of make up for Saturday. Uh, I just missed Saturday, I just had some bodies to bury. This is the weekend, sue me. Um, A lot of things going on, but uh, like I said, I'm going to let you guys kind of just uh, rattle off what you want to talk about. Uh, We saw kind of a new series of polling released today that really does kind of, you could tell it really took the air out of the balloon for the media and the hopes that uh, Dobbs overturning Roe v. Wade would be the electoral issue of the midterms, excuse me, and as we saw that it's not. Uh, We also saw some interesting stats about independent women uh, have shifted dramatically over to uh, the GOP side as from plus 14 for the Dems and now it's plus 18 for GOP. And again, that's independent women. Um, There's no real good news in any of this polling for one Joe Biden or his party. And it's the kind of uh, it's the kind of polling that spells pretty much certain doom leading up to two weeks into a midterm election. So we saw that today that kind of uh, dominated what you saw from The New York Times and from media. And it just does not look good for them. And you can kind of already see that coming from them and how they're trying to at least spin that, uh, I guess, under generic name ID, whatever they're trying to do. Uh, but it's not going to work. Inflation the economy are the number one issues. Uh, I think like abortion was down around fifth or sixth because something our media doesn't realize is pro-life women vote too. Um, so that was kind of where, where we are to start the week off. <clears throat> Over the weekend, we, of course, st- uh we're seeing a lot of stories come out for Bride of Shotgun Frankenstein, and there's a reason why she is suddenly on the tips of everyone's tongues. We saw her giving interviews to The Atlantic. We saw her giving interviews uh, everywhere. And, of course, uh, she's now called on NBC to have their reporter or to have the network apologize for I guess, asking uh, or telling voters that John Fetterman seemingly cannot follow a conversation unless he has a transcriber there to do it for him. And so I thought it was interesting. We've talked a lot about this and a lot about her, but uh, this is looking more and more like one of the best, easiest calls that I've ever made about who is actually running. We saw the Rolling Stone article call her a de facto candidate. And so... You look at this stuff and you see that they're doing this all kind of out in the open. And then, of course, she's on Pod Save America and she's just really all over the place all of a sudden. Gosh, I wonder why that could be. Um, it's interesting optics and it's certainly interesting in how our media chooses to elevate someone like that who, again, I, could, I couldn't I could tell you the name of Dr. Oz's wife. Uh, I couldn't tell you the name of any other spouse of any other Senate candidate. I couldn't tell you the name of Mark Kelly's wife. I couldn't tell you the name of Blake Master's wife. And so there's a very specific reason why this is happening, uh, especially with her. And I think you can all pretty much guess what it is by now. So we saw that all ha- happen over the weekend as well. Um, I'm going to just jump in. We're going to just go for a hard hour because uh, I've, I've got somewhere to be post this. And I'm also missing my, uh, my uh, Go America, Go Broncos for this as well. Uh, so we'll go for about a hard hour. So we'll just jump right in. Just thought I would give you a couple of things to set up with. Um, as usual, um, if it's your first time in here, um, just feel free to jump into the queue. A uh, couple of things I just I just ask is uh, just be mindful that there might be people behind you, and that we're going to try to get as many people in as possible. So, uh, if you have a question or a comment or whatever, try to keep it brief. And I know sometimes the flow of conversation extends that, and that's usually on me. Uh, but just kind of be mindful uh, to let other people have their turn. And then the other thing, if you could please mute your microphone, if you're not speaking, you can just do that down there. I think at the bottom where it says mute, uh, and that's just to cut external noise. These pub- these podcasts are published, so people do go back and listen on them. So we want to make that uh, as enjoyable as possible for people listening. It also just helps me... Uh, not get distracted. Like I just was a second ago when my asshole French bulldog jumped off the couch and barked. So those are just kind of the only ground rules. Uh, we're going to jump in. And I know I cut some people off last time. Uh, so we'll take Stephen, and then I'm going to move Jeffrey up and, uh, and then I'll take prison Mitch. I, I don't, I don't want to admit prison Mitch because then he's going to Photoshop a MAGA hat on me or something, or he's going to put a giant lump on my neck. Uh, but Stephen, go ahead. This
1: is open forum. AMA media. Hey, Stephen, Thank you. Yeah um just uh to comment on the fetterman debate um this is what i was going to talk about saturday uh i believe you and jim got to the coverage of this before uh i was able to but um yeah his comp- his campaign didn't like release any information regarding his stroke until like a day before the primary and if you remember um one of the Connor lamb staffers on the day of the primary was like arguing with somebody that they were trying to text to get them to vote for them. And they're like, what has John Fetterman ever done for you? And, um, they are like having an all out war and a text message with them. But, um, I feel like the reason for why they're like freaking out so bad about this, uh, Senate race is, um, there's been a few stories in Politico about, uh, the judges that Biden just confirmed. And, um, I feel like that's one of the reasons why they're flipping out, because if they don't control the Senate, he's not gonna get any more uh communist judges accepted. Uh I would I mean that, that's part of it, but they're I
0: mean obviously they're flipping out because it's just control of the Senate in general and they believe that it's going to come down to two races, which is Georgia and Herschel Walker, which is why they pushed out the abortion story when they did. Uh I don't care that they did that, it's news. Um, but it's certainly there's a reason why they waited until October with that story, <clears throat> because they thought of how devastating it would be, especially with their primary focus on abortion. And of course they think it's Pennsylvania, which is why they're kind of doing so much work to drag this guy's lifeless body across the finish line. Um, I know you mentioned Jim Garrity, uh, and I read his thread on my podcast, but I want to read it again here for anyone who hasn't heard that. Uh he wrote a piece in his Morning Joe, the National Review, and he laid out all the times that this campaign has deceived voters. And you have to understand that that's what this is about. This is about not being transparent with voters, uh, that voters in Pennsylvania don't deserve to understand uh, his health or see his health records or anything because he's he claims he's been as transparent as possible. And we all know he hasn't. And Tim also cleared this up today. And he said, Uh, if there was any good news in his health records, they would have released him. There's a reason why. Um, And this is generally also the excuse for why people don't release their tax returns, is that there's some stuff in there that they don't want people to see. That includes Trump. (laughs) But uh, Jim had a short thread on this issue. He said, uh, John Fetterman's stroke occurred on May 13th, the Friday before Tuesday primary in Pennsylvania. His first brief statement about the stroke came out on Sunday, Sunday, May 15th. So that's two days. Fetterman declared that the good news is I'm feeling much better, and the doctors tell me I didn't suffer any cognitive damage. I'm well on my way to a full recovery. Five hours before the polls closed, Fetterman's campaign issued a statement that he was undergoing surgery. It should be a short procedure that will help protect his heart and address the underlying cause of a stroke, atrial fibrillation) afib, by regulating his heart rate. On primary night, his wife, Giselle, characterized her husband's health problem as a little hiccup. The initial explanation was that element drastically understated the severity of the stroke, which Fetterman later criticized as actually life-threatening. In June, from, uh, a letter from Fetterman's doctor revealed that Fetterman was diagnosed with AFib, an irregular heart rhythm, and decreased heart pump, but had stopped taking his medication and didn't see any doctor for five years before he suffered a stroke. This guy claims he can take care of people in Pennsylvania, but he can't take care of himself. It's, it's astounding. Uh, The Democrats are in this mess in large part because Fetterman and his team were not honest about his condition when it mattered most and when Democrats could have considered another option for for the Senate. The reason Pennsylvania Democrats are nervous when Fetterman and his wife and his campaign say his recovery is going fine is because they don't trust him and they've already lied about all of this. Um, And that's kind of what Stephen was referring to. And I think it's just I think it's astounding that and there was also in the Atlantic article that was uh, missed over a little bit. Was that? Let me see if I can find this. If I have this quote uh, from the Atlantic article right here, he still stumbles in his speech at a rally I attended outside Philadelphia last weekend. He delivered a few applause lines and phrases that were difficult to understand. Occasionally, the audience would answer with tentative claps. After the event, Fetterman did not entertain questions from reporters and seemed unable to respond. All that meaningfully to on-the-fly comments from voters. His wife, Giselle, appeared to be the one leading those interactions. Um, And this has been the theme. This This is the same thing that NBC noticed. NBC's Dasha Burns said, I was talking to him before the cameras rolled, and this dude couldn't understand a single word I was saying. And this is what I've And this is what I've talked about is this is where our media jumps in and runs cover for a guy whose whose job it is is to listen and do auditory votes and yays and nays or whatever he decides to do. Is is he never going to stop to answer questions from the media because he just doesn't understand what they're saying? Or if Manu Raju runs up to him, and Mr. Fatima, what do you think about the comments from Mr. Trump? And then he just like goes, I don't know, ting-tonged potatoes or something. What is he say? And so they're trying to basically, you know, pull all of this over your eyes. And again, kind of what Stephen said is they're doing it because they know the importance of having the, the U.S. Senate on their side. And it really is that simple. If if the Senate was already tilted, like, you know, 58, whatever, 61 pro-GOP, they would have taken this guy out to the woods and put him out of his misery already, like Lenny of Mice and Men. Uh, but they know that this is going to be a close election, possibly I don't know what this polling says today, this mayor's polling. It doesn't look good. And, you know, I, I would say, as we also saw Oswin up to about two points on Fetterman last week, I would say that probably that that uh, difference is probably even wider than what we're being told. Stephen, go ahead. Um,
1: just to touch up, uh, if you've I mean, I'm sure you've been paying attention to some of his clips that have like come out of him at rallies. But if you look, uh, there was one the other day where he was like hunched over a railing with a woman talking to him and all he's saying is like, thank you. Like, I don't even think he can understand a single word she's saying. He's just saying like, thank you. And then his wife just takes over. But um, uh, my hot take is that you, mo- you noted today with Biden campaigning in uh, Oregon. Um, I don't think that this Senate race in Pennsylvania is going to be one that matters. I think it might even be a plus three or plus four for the Republicans
0: it might be um i mean there's there's a few things that would have to happen for that to obviously occur. You'd have to have Walker win Georgia. You'd have to maybe have Blake masters win Arizona now also Nevada is up there. Now they're talking about O'Day in Colorado is, is behind, but within polling. Um, So it's, it's certainly, it's certainly possible whether or not it's probable is something we're going to, we're going to find out in about three weeks. So, and and this really is the home stretch. And the one thing you don't want to have to be talking about in the home stretch is, you know, something we've learned is how unfair, the media the friendly media coverage was to your husband and also demanding people apologize and talking about his stroke uh we came away with no policy from that interview, and we still today are no one's talking about that the The Atlantic is running cover for him by talking about his stroke and how it humanizes him and obviously, I think that n b c interview was mostly a softball, but this was all this was all rolled out in the same week where he had uh, that the, the New Yorker piece, which is similar to what the Atlantic was doing. And then Fetterman's campaign thought, let's just sit him down uh, for an interview. And it didn't go as well and it didn't go as planned. And of course they have a debate coming up here. Uh, I think this week, I think it's the 19th. And I honestly think that that debate pretty much makes or breaks that race. If Fetterman can get through it, even with the assistance of a transcribing machine, whatever, then it's probably going to be a close race. If he stumbles and if he can't just answer, basic questions or an interaction. I mean, people also think in a debate, it's not just the debate person asks him a question. He looks at it on a transcriber machine and that takes a minute and then answers it. A debate is a back and forth. So if Oz really wants to get him, just, I don't know, just ask, ask some information back and forth. And I don't know, flash a blinky light in his eye or something. I don't know. But there's ways that Fetterman's gonna. it's going to be a problem for him even in a, de, in a debate because is he just not going to engage when, you know, there's back and forth and, you know, I need my time back, I need whatever, or whatever. Um, so it's going to be probably the most watched debate of the primary season. It wouldn't shock me. Um, I think it would even probably get more attention than Walker and Warnock did, which was in, uh, the, Warn- the Warnock and Walker debate, which I haven't talked about, was interesting in the sense of <clears> – <throat> It, you're kind of seeing this thing where you're being told that Walker is, just has so much CTE and brain damage, he can barely talk, and then you see him. And yeah, he's he's clearly, I mean, a guy that's had some mental baggage as well, uh, but he's a guy who came very well prepared, and he came more prepared for that debate than Warnock did. And there was a reason why everyone on Twitter was talking about his fake badge, and that's because they had nothing else. There was no other highlights uh, on policy or anything else that they could hit, Herschel Walker on. So they all kind of resorted to, to the cool kid table thing about his fake badge, which is fine. He shouldn't, you know, like, I don't understand the fake badge thing either. But if that's all you're focusing on, uh, it, it reminded me of the 2016 debate with uh, Trump and Hillary. But if that's all you're focusing on, it probably means that uh, they didn't think that went very well
1: for Warnock. So, I just have uh, one more thing to say I think it's really funny that uh, his wife was calling for consequences after they let her in their home to do that interview uh, that's
0: my last thanks Stephen yeah and that's why you didn't really see um a lot of the media kind of they just they kind of sat on their hands uh a bit but they didn't certainly offer this rabid defense of her because they're calling this, why are you calling for consequences for an interview you agreed to? And she's apparently just saying the way she characterized Fetterman's abilities to speak, apparently, is the issue. They can't tell you why it's ableist. They can't tell you it's because you're portraying him like he can't talk. And it's like, well, can he? That's the whole point. Um, and then, of course, they, they're trying to fall back on the fact that John Fetterman, I guess, just needs glasses. Hey, I guess good news for him they, they tried to tell us he was only hard of hearing, and apparently today the Biden administration made hearing aids uh, available across the counter. So we should be seeing John Fetterman wearing hearing aids if hearing is his problem. Uh, Jeffrey, welcome back. Sorry to cut you off uh, last time, so I just I wanted to bump you up, but go ahead.
2: I know. It's all right, Steez. Uh, yeah, I was just, I was calling in last time to talk about the whole aphasia thing. And uh, my mom, when I was a kid, suffered from TIAs, you know, the transient ischemic attacks, the little mini strokes. And part of that was she suffered from aphasia. And, you know, it, during the attacks, you know, it, it would differ, you know, by degrees. Sometimes she would have trouble getting words out. Sometimes you would have trouble understanding you. Sometimes she would be completely aware and and she would be talking and the words that she was say that her brain was processing were not the words that were coming out of her mouth. It would just be, you know, just a random string of words. And to listen to all these assholes try to downplay this shit as, you know, being no different than nearsightedness is just it's it's one of the most disgusting things I've ever seen. Yeah. They're trying to basically tell us that, yeah, to tell us. that um, cognitive
0: brain damage is not an issue to serve in the United States Senate. Uh, um, Sorry about that. Yeah. Um. And yeah, uh, I mean, they're trying to tell us that if you, if, even if you suffered cognitive brain right, damage,
2: I, I Googled the other day, I just Googled aphasia and yeah. the first result of it is, you know, it's, I think Oxford language or something. And the definition is uh, the loss of the ability to understand or express speech caused by brain damage. It's just flat out right there. And I'm sort of amazed that it still pops up when you Google aphasia. It's first thing, you know, I'm surprised they haven't tinkered <laughs> they with the algorithm. Changed,
0: they haven't changed the, uh, the definition of a, of a stroke to accommodate uh, a Democratic-led <laughs> Senate. They might. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it really is, and you have to wonder, I mean, that might play on Twitter, and you might get a few journals going, well, Greg Abbott needs a wheelchair. It's the same thing, and everyone just looks at you and goes, you know, no, it's not the same thing, and no, it's not like having glasses. And boy, that talking point went out to the point to where that's that's what Fetterman and his wife are now just echoing completely, that it's a wheelchair and glasses. It's no different, and of course, we know that that's not the case. People who don't need eye correction uh, is not a cognitive function. We know that. Um, and even people without glasses can still process a thought when you talk to them they don 't need their eyes to do that they're trying to make this like a physical disability and not a cognitive disability because they know what a what a cognitive disability means um, and so again, the reason why they 're just bl- so blatant is they don't have they don't they don't have a comeback for it. To say that, and they, and also they know how bad it looks when he's up there talking. And you're right; it's just a string of words. They're trying to literally tell you what you're seeing and hearing. You yourself. Um, my my favorite one is when someone said, "I need closed captions to watch Game of Thrones." So what's the difference? And your mouth just hits the floor because this person is also cognitively impaired somehow, or you know it's just rank dishonesty. You know that they know what they're saying. And either I mean, both are to me are inexcusable for someone running in the United States Senate. It's like we ran down the list of like everything senators do. You have to, you know, read legislation. You have to be able to process legislation. You have to be able to process debate. You have to be able to process what somebody's saying to you, whether it's a reporter or it's your staff member. Um, What happens if Fetterman's on like an intelligence committee? You know, he has to be able to say, okay, here's here's my assessment of. Uh, This raw intelligence we have of, I don't know, ISIS moving back into Afghanistan. Um, He can't just like put on a fucking pirate hat and scream, hey, you guys. And that's that's acceptable. Um, But again, this is all because of what what they know is on the line. And they absolutely cannot have a 51, 52, 53 Senate. And so they're going to do their best to just try and drag this dude over the finish line. And then, as I predicted it's looking more and more like it's then probably sometime in the next year or so replace him with his wife. That's I like, I I suggested that as a half joke three weeks ago and in, in the light of the situation and, and her sudden presence all over media, I'm just sitting here shaking my head. Like I might just need to fucking retire when that happens. Like just retire. Cause I don't think I'm going to be able to top it if that's what happens, but it certainly looks like that's what they're setting it up to be that. I mean, you don't give, The spouse of a candidate that much attention unless there's something else going on here. Unless they're all like, she's actually really charismatic and she's an immigrant and oh, and she's you know she's funny and and she's young. That's another thing we could have. We could have someone who's like 40 years old in the Senate for 40 years, and that to me looks like. Yep,
2: sounds about right. And uh, you know, on one other little point. To make just totally unrelated is you know adam kinziger has been showing his ass on twitter quite a bit lately and you know I i just wonder if you know people like him or like the bulwark bros or what have you like do you think it's ever occurred to any of them to not be everything that they claim to fight against
0: Oh, because they don't think that they are that and it's no different than somebody like Charlie Sykes thinking that he had no role in uh, creating Donald Trump or it's Bill Crystal who was a, you know, big pusher of Sarah Palin. Um, no, they gen- it's Genuinely, we had nothing to do with this. And so when you have someone like Kinzinger, who is, you know, just like an ADD rattled teenager on Twitter. Who tweets very much in the same ways that Donald Trump tweets, I think part of that is they see the engagement Trump got, so they think they can use that in a way that Trump did, except I mean nobody could tweet like trump i mean that's that was just part of who he is. You could tweet about you know Diet Coke being angry at him, and you know he could he could throw out tweets that some would just make your your jaw drop, some were funny, some uh, were not so much funny. Some were concerning. Some are like, dude, come on, you know, just get off, get off the machine. But you're right that Donald Trump's superpower is making the people who hate them most realize they're just like him. Um, there was a hilarious clip with Michael Cohen was on Chuck Todd this past weekend, and Chuck Todd's like, why is it so hard for people around Trump to just, like, distance themselves? He goes, oh, it's because we're idiots. We're stupid. And I'm like, oh, wow, he admits how stupid these guys are. And it's the longer these people remain in his orbit, they really are just kind of trying to suck off him. Another one is, is Vinderman. And it's real interesting to me that all of these people, the media continues to produce people like vindeman and Avenatti and, and Kinzinger, and they all just kind of turn out to be the same like cut of, you know, social media addicted. They're, they're almost high on the own supply that the media gives them their own importance And we saw that, of course, with people like George Conway, who begged Trump for a job and now is resistance, whatever, and don't get me started on that marriage. Um, It's really no different than you know, political, political apprentice. That's all it is. If you ever watch The Apprentice and you saw the celebrities, it was all kind of the same celebrities cut from the same cloth. And now that's just transferred over to politics. You could literally do Political Apprentice and put like Adam Kinzinger on the show and Andrew Vindeman on the show and Michael Avenatti on the show and Cohen on the show and Scaramucci on the show and Alyssa Fair Griffin on the show and, you know, Tim Miller on the show. You could, these people are all just like the same people. And, you know, you have to remember that Most of his most rabid critics are people that back in 2012 were the people who steered the GOP right toward him. Tim Miller was a spokesperson for the RNC and Tim Miller, someone that would have you believe someone like me had more to do with Trump than, than him. Charlie Sykes was kind of a low rent Rush Limbaugh uh, in Wisconsin radio for years and years. He's pretty much the whole reason that Sheriff Clark is a nationally known figure. Um, And then of course, I think another part of this is a lot of these guys got kind of the attention from mainstream media that they were craving that they never got in right-wing media. They never got the attention like Rush Limbaugh got or Andrew Breitbart got or Ben Shapiro got or whatever. And they get that now. They get that on MSNBC. And if you look at like, for instance, the Twitter engagements of someone like Rick Wilson prior to his heel turn, I mean, nothing. Rick was kind of known as a funny guy in Republican circles and on Twitter and stuff like that. And I certainly had positive interactions with him. Uh, But the second that you know, he kind of went and did the Lincoln Project stuff. He's now all he's a, he's an author. He he didn't make a film. He took sixty five thousand dollars for a film, but didn't make a film. He's all over television. He's now having to gargle Al Sharpton's balls for a living, and it's it's hilarious to someone like me. But that's the reason why they did it. So no, I I, I genuinely think that they do not look in the mirror and say this was our role in this because if they did, they would be a little bit they would have a little bit more shame. Over
2: yeah, it's just amazing that, you know, I've changed my views on some things over the years, but I would say that my views are about 80% exactly what they were in 2008 when I was voting for John McCain. And these people who claim that they're the principled ones, that, you know, somehow I'm on the opposite side of just about every issue with them, and but they're the principled ones. So, you know, Well, it, was- it is what it is.
0: Yeah, I mean it was revealing this week with Ben Sass. Their treatment of Ben Sass was pretty enlightening. Ben Sass is obviously a conservative guy. He didn't kind of become an MSNBC pundit like Kingsinger or even Cheney, but he voted pretty much exactly the same way that Liz Cheney did. So you look at the you look at how they treat someone like Liz Cheney and how they treat someone like Ben Sass who doesn't really seek the media spotlight. Uh, he's going off to do be a university president, we think still, and he's going to do more he's going to do more to advance that you know conservatism through campus and academia, then Liz Cheney is going to do it on CNN, and I think that that's what upsets them. It's the idea that Ben Sass basically rejected using the media to amplify his anti-Trump message, and as I said, that doesn't really work if you're if you're on if you're claiming to be a conservative and you're speaking on CNN or you're speaking on MSNBC, you're not really. Your goal is not to persuade anyone. Your goal is to basically shit on the Republican Party, which is fine, but just admit that that's what you're doing. You're not reaching the audience you need to reach. Uh, an interesting thing, and I, I didn't read it uh, because I don't give this website my attention or my clicks, is I guess uh, the Bulwark wrote today about uh, no good Republicans, and this is speaking of Ben Sass, and they called Ron DeSantis a despicable human being, even though he was supposed to be the answer to Trump. And right there, they kind of give, give the game away, because as of now, and whether or not he runs, I don't know, DeSantis, polling-wise, is the best shot to prevent a Donald Trump nomination in 2024. So that should ask yourself, then why aren't the people like that putting their weight behind him? It's not going to be Larry Hogan, guys. That. that It's just not. We already know this. It's not going to be, you know, Liz Cheney. It's just not going to happen. That's just not the makeup of the party. And you don't have to be pro-Trump or anti-Trump to realize what this is. And as I've said, and I've written, uh, the people who will decide Trump's fate are, are his base. It will be, they've decided they've had enough of this. They've had enough of the antics. They want to move on to something else. And if they move on to something else, if you were real, real anti-Trump, should you not embrace that alternative? And we're seeing that they're not embracing that alternative. They're positioning themselves as now anti-whatever-that. I'll give you a left. Go ahead. Oh, you, you broke up on me.
2: See sure. you next time? okay
0: yeah uh Jeff you're breaking up really bad I, I think it just might be the app of the connection I'm gonna go ahead and jump over to to Mitch here sorry to do that but you're just uh, we'll see if it's either the app or if it was you we'll see if prison Mitch comes through loud and clear you're up prison I I don't know if I'm
3: gonna come out loud and clear because I'm in Fort Myers right now it so sounds like the connection but what, what the hell does being in Fort Myers have to do with any of this? Uh, with the hurricane, man, the hurricane, dude. We're doing cleanup okay, right now. Got gotcha. you. Uh, my question to you is: What are your thoughts on Ted Cruz retweeting a fake Atlantic article, and uh, why are people mad at me when I got him to? Do
0: Mitch, it? did you do that fake Atlantic article meme?
3: Yeah. <laughs> um, I, th- I mean, I think what's interesting
0: about all of that is how. And I don't, I don't even want to say you, but I mean, you can do you can do the memes in a way to where you can get Reuters and the AP to fact check them. And I think that that's just incredible. I think that that says so much about what fact check industry is. Uh, I think it's incredible to see where their priorities are or whatever. I, I didn't really. I know it was the Atlantic, but I didn't see it. And I saw that he did admit to it. He just said, oh, you got me. And uh, I don't know.
3: Is, is Ted Cruz mad at you for that, Mitch? No, I don't know if he's mad or not. I, I just know that when I do stuff like that, there there's key accounts that I'll I'll DM like Prousha. I'm I'm like, hey, don't retweet this. It's fake. You've done it before. I don't want to get you. And so uh, sometimes it ends up though like that Lord Farquhar kind of thing where some of you may die, but uh, it's a chance I'm willing to accept. Uh, But I I was cracking up because, uh, you know, the Atlantic was was kind of bitching about it. And then Abby Olheiser, I think is her name. Uh, She was she was kind of complaining. And then, you know, she went on a rant. And then at the end, she was like, oh, yeah, but while you're here, why don't you check out all these articles that I have done? And I'm like, you probably haven't had that much, you know, in forever. (laughs) Did they reach out to you on this or did you reach out to them? They uh, did not. No, no, they didn't reach out to me. I had a couple. Uh, um, what have I told you about talking to journalists? I had a couple of journalists reach out to me and I totally ignored them. And I was like, look, if you need to talk to me, you go to Red Seas. I've got the rules. Thanks. He's my agent. <laughs> <laughs> go talk to him. Uh,
0: they probably have me all blocked. Um, <laughs> yeah so that's good that's good yeah you did, did but just just know that anything even if it's just chit chat it's all on record so they Oh, i know it as all. soon
3: as i saw taylor lorenz chime in it, i was my wife was like god damn it what did you do are we gonna go <laughs> knock on our door now
0: yeah maybe yeah <laughs> um because you are you are generally anonymous on there so uh, yeah they might i mean i i think it's i think it's just so interesting that their focus was like on getting the Babylon B band and their focus is on fact-checking memes. And that's why whenever they do it, I, I just always respond to the same thing, which is no, 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 we saw it. It's real. You need to correct this. <laughs> um, Cause it, it shows you just the unseriousness. I think it shows a couple things. It shows that they, how much they don't really understand what social media is. And especially like what Twitter is and what, you know, shit posting is in general. They think they do, um, but they don't. And then it also just shows like their priorities. Like they can ignore you know, five lies a day coming out of President Applesauce's mouth. But then they go and they start fact checking memes because they're so they're so convinced that the unwashed peons are too stupid to see what a meme is. And sometimes they're not. But that's the point of it. That's, you know, a meme is believable. And so then they're afraid it's going to spread on Facebook and then it's going to get out of hand. But even if it does, so what? Like, that, that's always my thing to them. My, my, so What? Well, it's spreading disinformation. I'm like, no, it's spreading a joke. Okay, that's what it, that's what it is. And that was, I mean, it takes you back to like what happened with with the with the fit, the forklift operator in Bro- in the Bronx who made a joke video of Nancy Pelosi slurring her speech. All he did was use software to slow it down, and next thing you know, he had the fucking Daily Beast knocking on his door. And I mean, I love it when they do this. It, it shows one uh, what you know, they think their power is, and it shows how they will intimidate just average people if they think they can, as far as politics is concerned. And it just shows again, their complete lack of awareness uh, of what the internet is. So Mitch, I just, I kind of hope you just have your taxes yeah, and your I,
3: public. I'm going to be honest with you. I was worried that one was going to get me nuked and I, I've told you know people that I'm, that's the last time I'm doing an Atlantic one, but I think Ted Cruz honestly saved me on that one because they got to then dunk on him. So everyone forgot about me at that point. I was like, all right, he's going to fall on the sword for me. And you Perfect. didn't watermark it, right? No, 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 Cause no. I know people do that because they want credit for it. No, I intentionally don't do those. <laughs> so that's good. Um, um, my, my one other question. Uh, so what, I, did I, Loren, I, what did Loren? what did Lorenz say about it when she chimed in? Uh, oh, just uh, uh, honestly about, uh, you know, how it's, you know, Unfair that people are, 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 you know, kind of dunking on this one person that, you know, Abby, that doesn't that work there in forever. And it's just kind of a, a sign of the times and the disinformation and, and, and the abuse that people can take. Well, the, I
0: mean, the other thing is, I mean, you should do it with The Atlantic. Just don't do an author next time. Just do like the headline with. The,
3: yeah, with normally the... I do. And normally I do like one of those smart ass ones like, you know, uh, Mike Jack Me Off or something like that. And for some reason, I I honestly was Googling and looking for a a shitty article from the Atlantic as a template. And I saw one that no, Sheree is not coming to Dearborn, Michigan by Abby Alzheimer, Alzheimer. And that's the one I used. And I just forgot to to cut at the bottom off. So it it worked. (laughs) All right. Um, One other question, though, Uh, the so I know we were talking about close elections uh, or the election kind of spreading and and and. I was curious, though, because I saw the Iowa poll with Grassley and Franken today closing to, like, three points. And I thought, that one doesn't seem like one I would expect to be a close race. So I was kind of wondering what your thoughts were on why that gap was kind of closing there.
0: I have no idea. I mean, I'm I'm not... I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I, I I joke about this when I'm Fox News is I'm the only guy on Fox News who won't act like an attorney or on cable television doesn't act like an attorney when I know something that I, I generally don't know. Uh, I honestly have no idea why the polling in Iowa is what it is. I would be shocked to see Grassley lose. I mean, he could because of his age. But um, if there's if there's one guy who just has like rocks, I mean, Grassley's kind of like a Kennedy in Massachusetts or a Biden in Delaware. Like he's just the guy there that they all vote for. Um, so I, I, honestly, I, I really could not tell you what's going on with the polling in Iowa. All right. Well, it's a media, it's a media podcast, Mitch. It's not a polling podcast. I do my best. I do my best to pass on accurate information, I, but no, I, it, I really couldn't, I couldn't tell you.
3: I appreciate it. And you know, last thing, just thank you. I've been driving for three weeks going up and down with the hurricane. And so you've been, you've been keeping it interesting, at least my drives, I get to list, listen to the podcast. So thanks for what you do. All right. Thanks, Mitch.
0: I have anyone else back there.
3: All right. We'll, uh, we'll just go uh with the normal order here.
0: I think I just skipped like just saying like twice now. So that's go a, ahead. Just saying that's
4: okay. Um, well to go from Fort Myers. to literally 128 miles due East, uh, in Lake Worth here, I have two topics I wanted to bring up. One was back on Fetterman. Um, what I don't understand is, and tell me if I'm wrong, I'm sure you will, is, um, I look at the Fetterman situation with the, uh, Dasha, uh, uh, Burns Dasha, Dasha and Burns. Um, Dasha Burns. Sorry, Dasha Burns. The the interview, and then his um, uh, the the Rolling Stone article that came out. Or what, where, right it was the Rolling Stone where, where it was like, "Hey, de facto candidate." Yeah. Um, I I look at the responses as, "Hey, Fetterman, y'all should have just acted like everything was fine." You know, like the burning dog meme, just go, oh, this is fine. Like uh, he had, I guess, an ad today, something about (laughs) uh, Doc Oz should know that I I smash words together with my current condition. I'm just saying the response to this is now like this is what's going to lose you this election is your response to this quote unquote gaffe. The fact that she wants uh, uh, Dash to to have uh, some kind of recompense. For, you know, the comment about the small talk or whatever, you know. And yeah, she, like...
0: she was on Molly John Fass podcast and saying uh, th- there should be consequences for her and this kind of ableism and all of these other isms. And uh, a good journalist would say, what do you mean by that? And like, what do you mean? Like, you want her fired over asking your husband or, or simply re- simply revealing information to voters? That again, that's what I think this whole thing comes down to. And I'm I don't I don't know. I mean, I think there's still enough time for them to bandage this and he could still end up winning. I would I would be shocked if he wins, just not even in the sense of I don't think he will just the fact that they do it. but again, this is about transparency to voters. That's it. That's all it's about. And that's how I should frame it in a debate. He, I mean, I would just hammer him on it all debate and just go, you, how how do you think we can trust the voters when you said that this wasn't a big deal? And then you said it was life-threatening. And then you said it was this. And you said you're going to make a full recovery. And now you're saying it's aphasia, which you can't make a full recovery from. Like, uh, you said you'd be better in January. How did you select January? Is this something your doctor said? Can you prove this? Just hit him over the head with this shit, and just be like, "You owe." I mean, this is a six-year Senate term. Like, do you, does anybody think that this guy is healthy enough to serve a six-year Senate term? And that's all it comes down to. And so, you would hope that independents and even maybe some more moderates would go, "Fuck, I really don't like Oz, but I don't want this dude dying in office on me." And so, that's kind of where you would hope independents and, and voters would go for. Um, it's, it's just to me, it's incredibly insulting. That's what it is. It's it's him insulting voters and it's him insulting voters intelligence with their eyes and their ears. And what you say about they should have just come out and said it was fine or whatever. What he should have done is just been honest about his medical condition. I had someone ask me an interesting question this weekend and they just they asked it. They asked me privately, so I'm not going to tell you who it was. But they said, what do you think are the odds that he doesn't want to run and she's the one pushing him? And I think I said I put that now based on what I've read, seventy percent. Like that Rolling Stone article was uh, was not flattering for her. It was very much like Lady Macbeth here, like pushing this guy. Like she said, it's not if the doctors say he's okay, it's not for me to step in. And she was just constantly doing that in this in this piece. If you really go back, I think it's paywall, but you might be able to get around that. It did not make her look flattering. It made her look like someone who really, really really wants to go to Washington, D.C., and either be one, either one, a senator's wife with an, enorm- an enormous amount of media power, or two, a senator herself. And like I said, it was it was the first time this weekend, especially with the Rolling Stone coming out and calling her de facto candidate, where I just went, holy shit, I called this. Like, <laughs> uh, and like I said, my, my original call, to be fair, is that Obviously, Shapiro is going to probably have to win governor, which it looks like he will. Fetterman's going to have to win and then be sworn in and then serve maybe a month, two, three, four, five months, maybe six months. And then to me, the the, the conspiracy is he strikes a deal with Shapiro that he will step down. He will resign over his health, provided that Giselle Fetterman fills that seat. And I can 100 percent now see that actually happening. It was kind of a half joke. Um but yeah, again, this is this is about being transparent with voters, and it's insulting voters. And I, because of that, I just I'm shocked that this is going as
2: it.
4: Yeah, I, like I said, I I just feel like uh, they were they were fine, and even they were fine after the because uh, g- the whole the whole joke to me is you gotta understand? I'm, I'm, most of the cities I've lived in, I've been surrounded by, you know, liberals. So it's like, you know, you know. You, you're around them for all your life. You know how they think. So it's like I try to explain to people. It's so tribal now that I look at this and they go,
1: they,
4: "I go Fetterman." The only thing, the only thing that will stop the Fetterman train now is if he pulls the shotgun Frankenstein act right now, live on some poor unsuspecting African American. Other than that, they'll excuse anything. You know, they'll put anybody in there. They'll put somebody in there that's on life support. Uh, you know, with no power of attorney, they'll do that. You know, it's like, the, so to me, it's not surprising, but transitioning from insulting. I also maintain that uh Karine Jean-Pierre is the, is even though as much as I feel that at this point, the Democrats are really more of a stooge for the media, putting Karine, uh, Karine Jean-Pierre in that uh press sec role is basically the biggest F you to the press that we have you know that we've ever had going like this is how much we think of y'all. We're going to put her in front of you as the person that you have to carry the water for and not ask questions and even when you do ask questions, you're going to get some answers that are so lol to everybody else, you know, like well, I think it was I think it was a tactical decision.
0: It was obviously, you know, when, the, when their administration views everything through equity and so, okay, how can we make equitable hires and equitable promotions and if she's on the team, you're not going to put in the white guy and so that, that certainly plays a factor in her elevation to that role um, which was interesting that like Nina Turner wasn't made press secretary over Jen Psaki, although I would argue that that was tactical as well um, because Jen Psaki they plucked her right out of CNN essentially and so they knew that They took someone who's already a media ally, put her in the role of press secretary, and they know they're going to get kick glove treatment, which they did. And then they announced what like she she was in her job for three and a half months after it came out that she was hosting an NBC show. And not a single reporter in that room ever asked about the ethics of that and said, hold on, right over here is Peter Alexander and and Kirsten whatever and Kirsten Welker and over here NBC reporters. And you seriously expect us to believe that you're going to take questions and hardballs and they're going to give them to you as someone who is now their colleague. It was really the most unethical thing I've personally ever seen happen out in the open from the White House press briefing room. And that includes anything to do with Trump. If Kaylee McEnany had taken a job at Fox. And lined it up a month ahead, Brian Stelter's head would have exploded and that would have caused quite a big mess. Um, And so they put Karine Jean-Pierre in that role for obvious reasons. The one to say it's historic because that's really all they care about saying. And two, they know that any reporter like Ducey or uh, any Fox reporter, whatever, questions her a little bit too hard or pushes her a little too hard. They can just say you're racist and sexist and that's Fox News. And to Ducey's credit, and especially other to Jackie Heinrich's credit, they don't really do that. They push her, but they don't do it in like a Jim Acosta way where it's, you know, grab the microphone, ma'am, ma'am, give me the, ma'am, give me, you know, the microphone. Um, Ducey is 10 times more professional than Jim Acosta. And people might say, and look at that and say, okay, well, I've worked for Fox and I'm a guy on the right. No, he's really, when you see how he asks questions, um, he has pointed questions. He doesn't grandstand. He doesn't, throw out stupid shit like the Statue of Liberty, but I would agree in a sense of it's what the White House thought they could get away with. Um, Karine Jean-Pierre is going to get an MSNBC show because they all, or a CNN show probably, because they lost out on Saki. Yet CNN and NBC vying for the services of the current White House press secretary and like getting into a bidding war to give her her own show. And now she's like a contributor on Meet the Press. And if you want another bold prediction, I saw one going around that I actually agree with. I think Jen Psaki is going to end up as the host of Meet the Press. They've already said that they're trying to kind of unload Chuck Todd. The ratings aren't there. They might want to move him over to streaming. And she's very well liked in the industry. And she's popular because he was the press secretary. And anyone who doesn't believe me that NBC would do that in this day and age forgets about George Stephanopoulos basically getting the news director role at ABC News. Um, I saw that one floating around where uh, this past weekend where it's total lib brains going just Gen needs to be made, meet, meet the press. And I saw people on the right laughing at this. And I'm like, no, I think that there's probably a pretty good chance. Yeah,
4: yeah. It, it, that definitely sounds like the next move. Well, I'll, I'll cut it short. I had one more, but I'll save it for the next call in. And, uh, you know, I'll just uh, sign out with uh, versus media imbibe.
0: <laughs> Thanks just saying. Uh yeah, and I'm I'm probably going to do a couple more of these this week. So, uh I think we can get through these last uh David Tim,
5: Timothy, hi David. Hey, uh how are you Stephen? I uh as as I often do, I've got a hypothetical for you Stephen. It's a it's a how do you think they'd answer if they were put on the spot kind of a scenario. And it, and this one speaks to my aversion to um to writers I used to respect a great deal, uh, you know, shamelessly selling out, selling out, or just flat out abandoning their principles. And this applies, by the way, to the Bill Bennett's of the world just as much as it does, you know, the Mo- Mona Charon's. Um, I, I expect politicians to lie. I it always I, I always gnash my teeth when when writers. Uh, that I really respected uh, start to uh, kind of just throw their principles to the wind. But anyway, here's the scenario: if Trump were to die tomorrow, not violently, Stephen is you know not not by an assassin's hand. He's just you know a big old fat guy who likes pizza and bonbons, dropping dead of a sure. heart attack. All right, so he dies tomorrow, or a stroke. That and, would be a fun one. Or a stroke. But again, I don't want the guy to, I don't like him at all, but I don't want him to suffer. But he's out of the picture. Right. Hypothetical. Hypothetical. Gone. He dies tomorrow. And Mitt Romney, Stephen, not DeSantis, who you addressed brilliantly, as you always do, 15 minutes ago about how the dispatch and the bulwark regard DeSantis, but not DeSantis. Romney, Stephen, once again becomes the Republican heir apparent. Here's my question. How would the writers? at the dispatch and the bulwark, justify they're not supporting him. That is not supporting the same fucking guy they vocally supported the last time they ran. And let's say this scenario was put to them by a principled interlocutor. Let's say it was you. You put the principle to them directly so they couldn't wriggle off the fucking hook. How do you think they would justify it?
0: Uh, I think probably... I don't. I don't think they'd have to justify because I think that they both would. Pro- both, if you're speaking about both of those outlets, and I know that they both like to be punching bags, I think both of them would probably support a Mitt Romney nomination. I mean, the hypothetical is it just it's beyond the realm of reality that that would even happen. Um, I, I think both of them probably would support a Mitt Romney uh, nomination. I think what's interesting again, Romney kind of showed his ass a little bit with Mike Lee, which is where. It's not that he didn't support Mike Lee in the in the uh, in the primary, or he didn't support him. He didn't give him his support, whatever. I think Mike Lee challenged Romney's twenty eighteen campaign, so they're not, there's some bad blood there. But generally, I mean, you put bad blood aside on, on teamwork politics, and you just say, okay, I'm going to endorse this guy because at least he's better than the Democrat. Um, but Romney kind of showed his ass a bit on this situation because he said. When he was asked if he was going to support Mike Lee, Romney very pointedly said something along the lines of, I don't get involved in primaries. I'm not going to get involved in endorsements. Well, we know that wasn't true because Romney endorsed Liz Cheney in Wyoming and even caucused for her there. He was at an event for her there. And so that to me is kind of like, "Okay, well, you just said you didn't do that and now you're doing it. He could have just said, I'm not going to weigh in on the primary in, in Utah, but he knows that that would have raised more questions. So I think it here's, here's where things get tricky. And, I, and people saw that I could basically confronted David French on this a couple of weeks ago uh, over Brian Kemp, over the bulwark saying Kemp is now not really any good because he's campaigning with an election denier who he has nothing to do with. It's not a running mate, as the bulwark falsely stated. And that was Amanda Carpenter. Um, the question that I asked David is, okay, uh, if Donald Trump endorses Kemp Do you do you then not endorse him? And David said, no, he would stick with Donald with Kemp. I don't think that that's the case for the bulwark. What I mean by that is if Mitt Romney is, let's say, let's let's take your scenario and say, okay, that's what we're going to do. Let's say Mitt Romney says, okay, I need support in these states. So I'm going to go to a campaign event and appear alongside Kerry Lake, governor, governor of Arizona, Kerry Lake. Um, I think that that rate there sours the bulwark, and they say well we 're not going to support now romney we're we're never we're going to be never Romney or if Romney you know uh, who are some of these other guys uh, I don't know let's say Mitt Romney appears alongside Tucker Carlson maybe he doesn't interview with Tucker Carlson and let's say Tucker Carlson endorses him, then yes, I think the dispatch and bulwark would probably get off the train so that leads to another interesting debate again about. You know, is it the character of the candidate or is it now just you just don't like the Republican Party as it is and if that's the case then you need to just come out and admit that you just want democratic victories and admit what you are that's largely the ideological problem with outlets that you know sit on their high moral horses like the dispatcher or or bulwark Um, one I think is actually more moral than the other but it becomes okay so uh, and that maybe, maybe you argue, what if what if Mitt Romney, I don't know, chose someone like Kerry Lake as a running mate? Well, they're off the train. Um, a better example, and I think a more realistic example, is what if Glenn Youngkin is the 2024 nominee? And I think that there's a little bit better than more talked about chance that, that could actually be the case. Uh, maybe DeSantis says, I want to finish out my term in Florida. I don't want to go to D.C. I'm, I like it down here. Well, I think all eyes immediately turn to someone like Glenn Youngkin, who is, you know, a pretty milquetoast politician, but he picks the right battles. He picks the battles to get on the sides of parents and things of that nature. Well, we've already seen that crew turn on him, um, the principal's first crew and et cetera. So would they support someone like Glenn Youngkin? Um, I don't know. Would Bill Kristol support someone like Glenn Youngkin over Kamala Harris? That would be an interesting question. Um, so I think that that's, that's a more realistic uh, hypothetical than Rom- i I think Romney's done. Romney's going to be in the Senate. That's it. I mean, there's a possibility he could be maybe like a Secretary of State in an administration. But I also think people like DeSantis and Youngkin are they, they they read the tea leaves on stuff like this. Pardon the pun. Um, and so I think with both of those guys, with both say Youngkin and DeSantis, you get kind of a hybrid conservatism. And I wrote about that where it's just it's more conservative on offense, um, but. They're going to pick and choose kind of people from all over the map. So if you had a cabinet, yeah, you might get someone who was a pro-Trump guy at secretary of defense. I'm not saying Michael Flynn, um, but you then you might get someone who's like a more establishment guy as secretary of state or whatever. So then the question becomes, if you can't support someone like DeSantis, or if you can't support someone like Glenn Youngkin, then you're not going to support any Republican. And that's just what the game is. And they Well, they're
5: not going to admit it because you, as you said, again, so brilliantly and, and many times, once they admit that, once they flat out overtly say, uh, I'm not going to, we're not going to support any Republican. They are then as much as saying they're Democrats and then the game is over. And then they lose all their value to the other side. So they'll never come out and say that you're right about that. So you're, I think you're, I hear you saying, though, that whoever finally gets the nomination, that whoever just accepts the nomination at the convention in 2024, they will find that is to say the bulwark and the dispatch, uh, particularly the, the, uh, the bulwark crew, will find some pretext under which to oppose them. It sounds like whoever it happens to be, they, who if it's, if it's the Republican nominee, they will ultimately find some Reason not to support them. Would you say that's a fair statement? Yes, because it's not going to be Liz Cheney. Right. All right. You rock, sir. Great work. Uh, Hope to talk to you down the road.
0: Thanks, David. Uh, We'll get through these last two callers See, we should have enough time. Check. Go ahead.
6: Hey, yeah. Good to see you, Stephen. Um, A few of the guys kind of stole my thunder on my question. It was touched on, not specifically what I was going to ask, but it's in the same vein of. Dispatch, Bulwark, this one mainly the dispatch, but Mm -hmm. I think it was Ala Pundit had uh, an article from the dispatch today talking about Kemp. It's like, hey, you know, what if I told you there's a Southern Republican, you know, governor who defied Trump and is also like beating the Democrats. And my kind of question was, and David uh, when you were answering his question, I think kind of answered a little bit of what you how you address this. But my question is, what do you think it would take for the dispatch crowd and that, in that vein to turn on someone like Kemp, someone they've gone out on a limb for? And in my opinion, the only reason they're actually sticking their necks out for him is because he had this very public spat with Trump. And that's it. That's pretty much it, because besides that. All of his policies are similar to, you know, DeSantis and and, and Youngkin as well. So uh, in my opinion, I think it's just the public spat with with Trump is why they support him. But do, what do you think would happen if he were put on a maid stage or would or even as governor? What do you think he would do or someone that the dispatch supports could do where they would then turn on him, turn on them?
0: I mean, it would be it would be simply it would be a few things because we've already seen the Bulwark Telegraph. This Amanda Carpenter said, you know, he was appearing at an event. First, first the Bulwark called this, uh, and I forget the Lieutenant Governor, who's supposedly an election denier. Uh, they called they called them his running mate, and that was a lie right out of the gate. So then he, I guess, he appeared alongside them at an event, and that is what set the Bulwark off. and said, so, "Well, he's not principled, whatever." Um, so I think that that's a good indication. And I do, and I do think that there is, I'm, I'm bullish on Kemp in the sense of, I do think he's someone you could see on that stage in 2024. Um, he just, he, he, good governance matters. That's all it is. And, and that's what George has proven. It's like, this guy has taken more abuse from Trump than any Republican in, in post-Trump presidency or whatever. And the guy's going to win 10, he's going to, he's going to destroy Stacey Abrams by 10 points. Um, so as far as like what it would take for that crew to turn on them, I I mean, again, I think it's either the embracing of anyone who's pro Trump, and I I mean that in the party. So, and I'm talking like, (laughs) if like Marjorie Taylor Greene even endorsed him, then it's over for them. Not even if Kemp accepted the endorsement. It's just if she just came out and like, yep, that's my guy, uh, simply because he's the nominee's party, uh, or he's the party's nominee, rather. Um, that would be it. Um, if he appeared, like I said, like let's, let's, for instance, if he appeared alongside Carrie Lake, uh, and again, a hypothetical that she actually wins her race, she's the governor of Arizona and Kemp in 2024 appears alongside of her at a campaign event in Arizona, because obviously Arizona, you would start to see hollers that Kemp is setting up to steal the election. That's what you would hear. Um, and you hear that not only from the dispatch, you would hear that from other mainstream outlets as well. So I think it's how much you embrace the pro-Trump wing of the party, well, you, any candidate is going to have to embrace certain aspects of it. They're just, uh, they're going to have to, I think that there's a difference between Carrie Lake and Paul Gozer, for example, or you know, like, like real, like white nationalist shit. Like there is a difference, but they're not, they would, they would call that a distinction without a difference. So, um, for those people to turn on that, I think I also think it depends on like if Kemp attacks Cheney in a debate, because I do think Cheney's probably going to run a symbolic candidacy in the hopes of getting on a debate stage with Trump. Um, so it depends on how much they attack that. Uh, it depends on if how Liz Cheney, would Liz Cheney endorse Kemp over summer or was she just like, nope, I'm done. I'm out of the Republican Party. So there's a lot of factors in that. Um, but as far as I think that there's many levels, I think that the standard for, say, the bulwark is different than the standard is for the dispatch, for instance. Um, I, I think that, again, the, the standard is a little bit different for someone like all upon than it is for Kevin Williamson, for example. So it, it depends on the writer for writer. But if you're just talking about the overall attitude, um, like I said, the bulwark is already telegraphed. They've already said, you know, this guy's not good enough because he he's appearing alongside an election denier who he could be lieutenant governor. And so he's gone. He's not good enough anymore. Uh, so they've already telegraphed that. And the, the dispatch again, I think, is more bullish on that. But um, it depends on who supports him, who wouldn't say they support him, and, and of course how the media would stake out on him. And, and just so you know, the second Kemp gets the GOP nomination, all of that anti-Trump shit doesn't matter. He, he Kemp becomes the next.
6: Yeah, I I agree with a lot with most of what you said, and it kind of had another quick question that kind of popped up in my head. Um, What do you think, you know, post-Trump, you know, when he's retired or passes away, how do you think that, you know, people in the dispatch and the bulwark are going to try and get back in the fold, in the GOP fold? Or do you think that they're just – they're past it now, they're done, and they're just in it for the money now? Or do you think that there's going to be some way that they'll try and re enter the fold? Because I really don't know how they'd be welcome in any – form in the future with like uh, a yunkin a desantis presidency or stuff like that like just the future of the way the party is going i, I don't see how they can they, they'd be welcome back into the in-
0: i i think some will i think some would and some wouldn't uh i don't see any possible way that's for instance the lincoln project guys are ever getting back in that door thank god um I don't think that, you know, I mean, someone like Bill Kristol has praised Yunkin, but it depends on, you know, who funds Bill Kristol's website, I think, ultimately is what comes down to that. Um, it, it depends. Uh, like, could I see someone like Kevin Williamson or All-Upundant supporting Glenn Yunkin? I don't know. Could I see someone like David French supporting someone like Glenn Yunkin? Yeah, I could. Um, so I think that that's, you know, some of those people would come back. Some wouldn't. I mean the, the the impression that they're under, and especially someone like Tom Nichols, um, has said is you need to burn this party down because it's so poisoned and it's so corrupt and now it's just a cult and it's all of these things. You need to burn it down so it can be rebuilt into something else. And of course they don't realize, and this is part of how they lost touch with you know, the base that they claim to speak for is if you burn the house down, you're not going to be the people, you know, if you're the arsonist who goes in there and burns the house down, and let's say that you take credit for burning the house down, which they will, uh, you're not going to be invited to rebuild it. And the fact that you think that you are, it's telling on just kind of how high on their own supply these guys and how far they, and how much they peer down their noises at the, the, the peasants the fact that you think you are it's just it's a complete political blind spot like again these are not people who are speaking to the people they need to speak to if you think that you're going to the atlantic and you're going to persuade gop voters to get away from trump you're not then that's not what's going to happen if you think you're going to go on msnbc and you think your goal is to persuade voters away from trump i'm talking about republican voters well It's not going to happen. You need to be able to persuade those voters in outlets and on terms that they are willing to understand and go along with you with. Um, And the other idea is that they think that somehow if you get rid of Trump, that if you rebuild it, it's going to be something better than what he was. I saw I saw kind of a great thread along these lines and basically said uh, the Tea Party was was the asking The creation of the Tea Party was us asking you to negotiate. Trump was the polite decline. You're not going to like what comes after him. And so that that doesn't necessarily mean it's, you know, a president who's going to say the vote is stolen again and try to storm the Capitol, whatever like that, but... Their attitude is basically if we if if you get rid of Trump, we can rebuild the party in our image. That's that's pretty much what Sarah Longwell from the Bulwark thinks. And that's what Tom Nichols thinks. It's like, guys, you don't you you're not paying attention here. You're the people that you think you're talking to or are, aren't listening to you anymore, uh, it's mainly because you canvassed and you're trying to elect Democrats. Um, Sarah Longwell knocked on doors for Joe Biden. You're not getting back through the door ever. Um And so if you're one of those pundits who actively said, yes, I'm voting for Joe Biden, you're not getting back through the door, plain and simple. Um, Now, there's a few that I think probably could. And if, like you said, you present a candidate that is moderate in their view, then, then they might but I also think there's going to be a whole lot of people who are going to say, you know what, we did this without you. So if you're talking about someone like, say, a Jonah Goldberg, for instance, you could just say, no, we're not. We we went ahead without you and you can go do this. Um, you know, you're not going to claim credit for this responsibility. You're not going to do that. But you might also have the youngkin, like, again, if we're hypothetically talking about a youngkin presidential campaign, he might go talk to the dispatch and I would encourage him to do that. Um, so, again, if you burn the house down, you're not going to be the ones to rebuild it. And you're probably also really not gonna like
6: yeah couldn't couldn't agree more stephen well uh i'll uh I'll let Timothy get it so we can all. Get to watch your Broncos tonight. So uh, yeah. have a good one, and you're
0: gonna, you guys are gonna have to do it because I have a hockey game. So, uh, but I don't, I don't think I'm gonna be missing much if I'm being honest. But thanks, Chet, Timothy, bring us home. Uh, we're just a little bit over time, but we're okay. So uh, bring us home. Uh, make the whole episode worth it. Make your time.
7: Okay, I, I don't, I can't really let anyone go see the Broncos. I have a lot to say, but uh,
0: um- you have five minutes, so go. <laughs>
7: Uh, I think rapid fire, uh, um, uh, one is, uh, I thought Herschel Walker's best moment in his debate was just dismissing the history, saying, um, you know, this, this race isn't about me. Uh, it's about what these people did to you. Uh, it's, it's essentially just, come on, I'm a Republican, vote for the Republican. Um, and uh, I don't know why Federman can't just do the same thing um, and say, yeah, who really cares if I have a stroke? Do you want, do you want a union ally in the Senate or not? And uh, do you think he'll try to do that? And do you think that would be an effective way to recover? Um,
0: I mean, at the end of the day, politics is a team sport. Um, I, thought, I thought what Walker did well is he transitioned. He knew he, he would give a short answer and then he would transition. The, 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 the biggest one was when the, I think the debate moderator said to him, would you support a Donald Trump nomination in, uh, in 2024? And Walker just said, of course I would. He's my friend. Uh, and he goes, you know, President Trump's a friend of mine. So, if yes, I would. He goes, and I, you, you always support your friend and allies. And then he kind of turns to Laura and he goes, unlike you in Afghanistan, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that that's like, that's a great debate pivot. It's it's a little ham handed and it's a little obvious, but I thought it was a good, it was a good pivot. He goes, yeah, I, I always support my allies. Uh, You don't abandon your allies in a time of need, just like you and Joe Biden, sir, in Afghanistan. You kind of saw Warnock just stand there like, fuck, like, you know, um, I think I think, you know, Walker just he he came prepared and he had some good answers. Um, I saw that. I think I saw the Daily Beast bitching that he wasn't asked about his abortions enough or his like multiple personalities or what or what have you. And I think a reason why the debate moderator didn't ask about those is because those aren't issues that are going to swing voters either way. I think if you're in Georgia and you've made up your mind on on Walker, you don't care about a 10 year abortion story. You just don't. Should you? I don't know. Um, is it hypocritical? Yeah, um, there's or, lots of people. There's lots of people changing their positions on abortion these days. And some of them are doing them in real like lifetime. Um. So uh, uh, that's how that's kind of what I took away in the sound bites that I saw from the Walker debate. Warnock, it, what it reminded me of is Warnock was more like Walker two years ago. Like Warnock really looked to me like a guy who just Washington just sucked up and attached itself to. You know, Warnock a couple years ago he was more like Herschel Walker. He was kind of like the pastor preacher guy. Um, he was kind of the, the challenger a little bit, so he was a little bit more hungrier. And then I watched those two, and I'm like, Warnock just comes off like a D.C. guy. And it only took two years for that to happen to him. And so I don't know how well that plays in Georgia anymore. And I saw people making fun of, like, Walker's folksy style of language. And we just saw this from Charles M. Blow in the New York Times. Like, basically, black man, no talk real good. And I'm just like, this is from New York Times writers who apparently spend no time in Georgia at all. But claim to know everything,
3: apparently.
7: Yeah, I guess if Fetterman tries something similar, it's it's he doesn't really have the advantage because it's like vote for me, I'm a Democrat. Isn't isn't it isn't the best time to do that? I guess. Um, uh, <clears throat> I had another uh, some, It's a, this could be a train wreck of a segue, but uh, um, uh, a couple episodes ago, you were talking about voting, and um, I forget what the whole topic was, but you had made a you made a, um you had said something about how no one own you know you don't own your vote to anybody. And um, uh, but I was very curious about uh, how you decide your own voting, because you have this interesting voting record. And it ties in with how I've seen you um, on Twitter interact. Oh,
0: shit. Oh, hello. Hold on, Sheila. I didn't mean to do that. Give me one. No, second. no you
1: didn't mean to do that. I'll, Hold I'll on. Back to being clear. Um,
0: God. Can you jump back into the queue? Sorry about that. I was trying to actually remove Sheila. There he goes, Timothy. Sorry about that. Um, I I was that's too close. No, no, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh, you're gonna ask me about my voting history, are (laughs) you? No, Um, no. I know what you were saying. I mean, I voted for John McAfee because I just wanted to read.
7: Okay. Yeah. I I, well, it was a. um, uh, That's that's very funny. (laughs) Um. Uh, but it, it was, you know, the interactions with Heath Mayo were just hilarious. It's hilarious where you're ramming it down his throat that he voted for Joe Biden. Uh, but it always just kind of left me discordantly because I kind of, it, you know, in a, it, everyone knows it's a binary choice. So you're still making a choice. From my standpoint, you were still kind of making a choice not to, uh, you know, to to like, I guess, stay out of it or not choose one or the other. And I love your I, I love your. I feel like you'd be responding to me right now with your with your Batman gift. Um, uh, Yeah.
0: (laughs) I mean, I don't have to kill you. I'm not going to save you. And this is kind of, you know, again, if you guys decide to go with Trump again in 2024, I'm not going to vote for him. And again, you can go down that road. And you know what? There's a chance there's a chance that he might even win. So um, but it's oh, my God, I fucking did it again. Uh, Sheila, I'm trying. Timothy's going to be our last caller. I'm so sorry. Timothy, I just wanted to talk back. about Kanye West buying Parler, no, That's
1: all. We'll do it. Next I'm, I'm going to be
0: back. I'm going to be back on Wednesday. So, we'll, we'll I'll, do it next I'll make time. sure you're first to talk about Kanye West. <laughs> sorry. I'm I was literally just trying to remove her from the queue. So, fuck. Um god. Here, here's here's my issue is he, uh, Heath Male, for instance, for conser- from Principles First claims to be a conservative, but he voted for Joe Biden. And there is a write in there is a write in section there that exists for a reason. That's that write in section is the whole point of how your vote belongs to you. You're not it's you're not locked into two choices. You're locked into any choice that you want. Um, and I know people will say, well, though, no, there is only two choices. And it's no, there isn't. It's that's a false equivalence. So Heath Mayo, if he's a conservative, he could have written in Mitt Romney's name and I wouldn't say shit to him. He could have written in, you know, a staunch conservative. He could have written in Paul Ryan. He could, have, he could have written in anyone. He could have written in Ben Sass. He could have written in, um, I don't know, um, not Mike Lee, who, who is the, who's Justin Amash. Could have written in any of those guys, but he didn't. He chose Joe Biden. You, you choose someone. You choose to give someone power, okay? And so when you do that, You do not get to claim the mantle. You are conservative. And I guarantee you, Heath Mayo is going to vote for whatever Democrat runs against Ron DeSantis as well. At some point, you are a Democrat. Now, in all honesty, I'm more of a classical liberal conservatarian, conservative slash libertarian, which is what John McAfee actually was. Um, Do I honestly think John McAfee had any chance of being president? No. And he said if he won, and I, I interviewed him on my podcast, was the very first versus media podcast i did was an interview with him he said he would resign the next day and i said you know what if you say that you're going to get more people to vote for you so maybe stop saying that and so people ask about why i voted it's like i voted for the option that i wanted and then my vice presidential vote was for the only woman who came out of the me too uh situation with her integrity intact and that was rose mcgowan um and so those are the base those are the criteria that i voted on but i did not vote for joe biden i did not vote for a democrat and I, i'm fine if you do that but then again you do not get to claim the mantle that you are a conservative principal conservative and certainly one where you're running a pack that claims to be that
7: i guess he could have been in the same mindset as you but just would saw saw the debate differently about whether the vote mattered and for him it's binary uh and for well, you it isn't well that's because he's and, in, that's because I mean, he's an idiot and i'm not <laughs> fair enough <laughs> Okay, uh, um, I'll move off that. Um, uh, I'll, give, I'll curious... give you one more. I'll
0: give you one more. Go ahead. All
7: right. All right. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. I've got to make a choice here then. Um, uh, I'm going to be
0: right back here this week, so you can jump okay. right back in line. i
7: got to think of something about Kanye to invalidate Sheila's question. No, so, uh, we're going to we're no, hold up on Kanye. All right, all right. All right, all right. No, I've got, I've got one. It's a, um, uh, um, I'm just curious about the, the uh, tweets you had. you know, your, your interaction, along with Heath Mayo and um, uh, Tom Nichols. Uh, my experience was I wouldn't even know about those guys if it weren't for your Twitter feed, and I'm just curious what like what their what their uh, what their impact really is, or why how important are they? Uh, you
0: know I'm well, I mean, Nichols certainly has a platform. He's a, he's a writer for the Atlantic. He was he, he's kind of been around as a conservative foreign policy guy for ever since the Reagan years. So how how influential is he? I don't know. Tom is more along the lines of someone that, again, used to be, again, a conservative guy who, again, can admit that he's just simply a Democrat now. And that's it. He's also a socialist, by the way. Um, the interactions with him, Tom Nichols called me, quote, unquote, one of the sharpest minds in conservative media, by the way. And then he said he took that back because I'm just a troll. And it's like, well, I <laughs> get it. You're pissed off at the whole wheelchair thing. But, you know, it's not my fault he's crippled. Um and someone like Mayo is just someone who kind of popped up on the radar uh, who generally came started coming across my feed. Um, I generally don't go searching out for people like that. Uh, but if you're going to come across my feed, and the other problem I had with Mayo is they actually brought me up at the First Principles First Conference, and they completely misrepresented my views on some topics. And they, they also ended up, like, quoting using me on a flyer alongside, like, other MAGA people, like extreme, like off the chart MAGA people. And so I took issue with that and that representation and he wouldn't deny it. He wouldn't apologize for it. And it's also very similar to uh, the personal acts that the bulwark picked with me is when I kind of blew the lid off them sell- sending Molly John fast to CPAC, for instance, I'm not a defender of CPAC at all. People know that I've been clowning on CPAC longer than most of you have had Twitter accounts um, but if your goal is to say you're conserving conservatism, then you don't send Molly John Fast to go clown on the pro-life movement. Um, and that led to a couple of misrepresentations again with Tim Miller with me. And uh, there was another, God, who was it? I think it was SC Cup or, or one of them. And so I take issue with that kind of stuff. And the, one of the reasons they don't like that is because I'm I'm not really... I'm not really in any circles with anybody. I've had colleagues. I've worked in National Review, so there's people I know. There's people I respect. There's people who I think are honest. Um, but the fact that I'm not really in D.C. and I'm and I'm not of that group, and I'm not of those people, I didn't come up through, you know, the conservative media circle. I came up on my own. Uh, I think that that's intimidating to a lot of people like that, uh, because I'm pretty much free to just tell them to fuck off with free will, which is a really fun a uh, privileged thing to be able to do. Has it cost me colleagues? Has it cost me friends? Has it cost me job opportunities? Eh, probably. Um, but you're right in the sense of, you know, it, when you elevate these people, well, no, they, they kind of picked a fight with me and maybe that's what they wanted. Maybe Heath Male wanted my attention. Well, he got it and now he's. Yeah. I, um,
7: I don't know that you're elevating them. I, I have, I've only run across them once since, then. it was a you know a friend of mine said, hey, you should follow this guy, Tom Nichols." I was like, "Oh, Red Sea's already ruined him for me. I can't." <laughs> <you> know, uh, <laughs> there's a few. There's a few of those,
0: and, and if you know, not to humble brag, but there's a few of those. Um, I don't know. I would lay off Tom pretty instant if he would answer, if he would admit he's a socialist. And if he would tell me why he can't tell me why he believe if he believes that Taiwan is a country or not, and I would be done, I would be done with that stuff. But these are yeah. people who sit upon their moral high horse and one claim that they're smarter than you. And most of the time they're not. Um, that's another problem. Someone like that. And then or they're more conservative than you. And I'm sorry, if you voted for Joe Biden, you're not more conservative than anybody, period. And that's it. And I'm sorry, Heath, he's not going to be in Congress.
7: Yeah, Um That's it. Uh, My, wonder if you can close us out, telling us what your favorite Trump tweet is. Oh
0: man, I, I, I used to. I mean, one of my one of my favorite just the concept, just the just the circumstances of him becoming president, is he was live tweeting the Oscars a bunch of years ago, and he tweeted uh, something out. um, I've had enough of this. Good night. And if you followed me for a while on yeah. Twitter, you, you'd see that I retweeted that as my last tweet every night before I would either turn off the computer or put my phone down. And I always thought that that was a funny, like a fun-running gig. I, I mean, I really think my my favorite treat, Trump tweet of all time was the Diet Coke, where he says, you know, Diet Coke isn't happy with me, but that's okay because I'll keep drinking that garbage. <laughs> <laughs> There's just so much to that, like he's just he calls it garbage, but he's still gonna keep doing it, which is just kind of the you know who that guy is 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 as a as a weird dude um I mean there was just so many of them back I mean back when he was funny, I mean he had the Anthony Weiner tweets about being a pervert and things like that um and obviously I'm kind of one of those guys where I'm like they weren't really funny when he became president anymore. Um, but if I had if I had to go, it's probably it's probably the Diet Coke tweet. Is, it's, it's the first one that pops into my head.
7: My favorites are the uh, the American flag after they killed Soleimani, and the uh, tweet about just COVID, COVID shouldn't dominate your life or something like that. It was like a little piece of leadership in COVID. Um, yeah, you know, no, those were those
0: were it's yeah. I mean, and Tucker Carlson was kind of the one that told him say you're going to lose the election if you don't start taking this shit seriously. And he didn't believe it, and then Tucker kind of put the fear of God in him. And yeah, for about a week there, he—that was the week that Donald Trump became president. Yeah, yeah.
7: All right, uh, I appreciate it, Stephen. Thanks a lot. All right, Enjoy,
0: enjoy the game. Bye. All right. <laughs> I'm I'm not gonna be able to watch you. I'm going to my hockey game, so whatever. Um, sorry, sorry for the glitches there. I just I had people jumping in, and for some reason I kept hitting Sheila to speak, and that's just that's just uh, Fetterman brain happening. Uh, this has been episode 51, just again, just a quick open topic AMA. I, I do plan on being back here Wednesday. I'm going to try to do Wednesday, Friday. Uh, so kind of on again, off again, whatever to get a couple of these in, because again, we're heading into the kind of the home stretch, um, of, uh, election, which is going to pretty much dominate the news. And so I guess we'll see how our media decides to make Trump the main character for the next two and a half weeks. Um, again, thanks to my callers again, just a short, quick episode. Thanks to my callers. Thanks to you guys for tuning in and listening. Um, uh, it's been episode 51 it's just an open topic I should maybe be back on Patreon tomorrow I have some personal stuff happening but I'm going to try to work around it and get a podcast and if not I'll be back there on Wednesday uh, through Saturday either way so you can also get me over there so uh, I am Stephen on is versus media live here on Colin thanks again for listening thanks again for your support and keeping us kind of near the top Uh, and kind of punching away at Brianna Joy Gray up there. So again, thanks. And uh, I will talk to you guys later.